0: Today's podcast can't happen as planned, and here's why. At around midnight last night, just after I'd fallen asleep in my hotel room here in Piacenza, I was called with the news that a colleague had died earlier on in the evening. It was, and is, impossible news to assimilate. Not one of us who knew him and worked with him would have suspected that this were possible, and yet here it is. Here we are. It's now very early on Thursday morning, I'm awake, and David's probably still asleep in Girona, but will shortly wake to read the messages I sent him to tell him the news. I've no doubt that he too will be left searching to make sense of what he reads, as if his day will have started with the sensation of walking over the edge of a precipice into thin air. Ordinarily, these words might not be something that I would choose to publish. The very act of writing them now and speaking them feels like a delicate process, his life and its sudden absence perhaps have no place on this rented platform. And yet, there is a reason why I want you to know who it is that is missing this morning as my hotel room starts to fill with light. Yet another small space and yet another suburb of another city on a bike race. The reason I'm here at all is because of him, and the reason that many of you might be listening to this recording is actually due to the man who's just died. Steve Doherty was the director and producer of ITV's Tour de France coverage. But those simple job titles are inadequate to describe the true position he occupied at the heart of perhaps the most long-standing and enduring production in all of British television. Put simply, he was its keystone, sitting stoically at the centre of a precarious project, which was, and will forever continue to be in all likelihood, consistently close to collapse, yet somehow, not just enduring, but evolving. At the tour, Steve would sit in a truck for day after day in neatly pressed clothing at his mixing desk, surrounded by a bank of monitors, keeping an eye on absolutely everything all the time. His was the calm Cumbrian voice in Gary's ear, the voice in Chris's ear, the voice talking concisely to me and David, liaising with London, coordinating the entire show, steering it steadily in the right direction, while all around him on a regular basis, the race did its best to derail him. Unexplained power failures, sudden, violent, alpine storms, stages curtailed, buses crashing into finishing lines, inflatable arches collapsing on riders, police pepper-spraying fans, riders being arrested on the tops of mountains, police raiding hotels, great champions falling and great champions winning. His voice was the still point at the centre of it all. Down the years, we had clashed. On my first tour in 2003, we fell out on a semi-daily basis. We all did from time to time with Steve, for whom there was never really much of a byway or a highway, only ever a my way. But his way would prove with annoying frequency, more often than not, to be the right way. He was stubborn. He could be autocratic. His ability to spot the tiniest mistake in the maelstrom of all the information generated by the race minute by minute to pick up an anomaly or spot a pixelated detail amid the chaos of a sprint, was phenomenal. Steve adored the Tour de France. He was a hugely respected director across all sports, having worked at the Grand National, the snooker from the Crucible, live rugby and football, and any number of other high-profile events. But it was to the Tour that he would always return. He never said it out loud, but he loved it and he lived it. The slow processions... The furious attacks, the cascading descents, the whole journey around France, a country he had crisscrossed every summer of his life for well over 30 years. He would have loved yesterday's stage of the Giro. I hope he was able to watch some of it. Steve's life at the Tour stretched right back to the 1980s and the inception of Channel Four's coverage. If you watch footage of Greg Lemond on the Champs-Elysees in 1989, for example, you will see that there is a tall, blonde figure standing just to his right, as the American realises that he has won. That's Steve Doherty. And ever since then, if you've been watching either Channel 4 or subsequently ITV's coverage of the tour, through the Indorine years, the Boardman era, across the carnage of Armstrong, the rise of Cavendish, the serial British winds, and extending into the wildly exciting drama of recent editions, that's Steve Doherty. You've been watching his show. When David Miller wasn't selected to race in 2014. It took about an hour before Steve had rung me to suggest that I contact Dave and ask him to join ITV's tour team. Little did Steve know I already had. But what neither David nor I knew back then was that he was scheming all along to pair us together as a commentary team. And two summers later, there we were, sat together at the finish line in Utah Beach, hoping to hell that we lived up to Steve's exacting standards. Now, five years on from that day, Here I am sitting in an Italian hotel room, working at the Giro, because of him. David and I are talking together about the bike race and so much more every morning, because of him. You're listening to this podcast, and how he probably hated its rogue tendency to simply float facts, because of him. We will resume some sort of normal service tomorrow, because that's what people do, isn't it? It's an instinct which we cannot mute, and which probably saves us from throwing in the towel entirely. I was going to be meeting up with Steve in around three weeks' time for the start of another adventure, and now I won't be. So for now, my thoughts are with Steve's three children and wife, and with all my colleagues at the tour, most especially James and Brian Venner, and Carolyn Vickery. Thank you for listening, and goodbye Steve.